Chapter Twenty Three of Riders of the Purple Sage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Gray. Chapter Twenty Three: The Fall of Balancing Rock. Through tear-blurred sight, Jane Witherstein watched Venters and Elizabeth Erne and the black racers disappear over the ridge of sage. "'They're gone,' said Lassiter. "'And they're safe now. And there'll never be a day of their coming happy lives but what they'll remember Jane Witherstein and—and and Uncle Jim. I reckon, Jane, we'd better be on our way.' The burrows obediently wheeled and started down the break with little cautious steps— but Lassiter had to leash the whining dogs and lead them. Jane felt herself bound in a feeling that was neither listlessness nor indifference, yet which rendered her incapable of interest. She was still strong in body, but emotionally tired. That hour at the entrance to Deception Pass had been the climax of her suffering, the flood of her wrath, the last of her sacrifice, the supremacy of her love, and the attainment of peace. She thought that if she had little Fay, she would not ask any more of life. Like an automaton, she followed Lassiter down the steep trail of dust and bits of weathered stone, and when the little slides moved with her or piled around her knees, she experienced no alarm. Vague relief came to her in the sense of being enclosed between dark stone walls, deep hidden from the glare of sun, from the glistening sage. Lassiter lengthened the stirrup-straps on one of the burrows, and bade her mount and ride close to him. She was to keep the burrow from cracking his little hard hoofs on stones. Then she was riding on between dark, gleaming walls. There were quiet and rest and coolness in this canyon. She noted indifferently that they passed close under shady, bulging shelves of cliff, through patches of grass and sage and thicket and groves of slender trees, and over white, pebbly washes, and around masses of broken rock. The burrows trotted tirelessly. The dogs, once more free, pattered tirelessly. And Lassiter led on with never a stop, and at every open place he looked back. The shade under the walls gave place to sunlight. And presently they came to a dense thicket of slender trees, through which they passed to rich green grass and water. Here Lassiter rested the burrows for a little while, but he was restless, uneasy, silent, always listening, peering under the trees. She dully reflected that enemies were behind them, before them. Still the thought awakened no dread or concern or interest. At his bidding she mounted and rode on close to the heels of his burrow. The canyon narrowed, the walls lifted their rugged rims higher, and the sun shone down hot from the center of the blue stream of sky above. Lassiter travelled slower, with more exceeding care as to the ground he chose, and he kept speaking low to the dogs. They were now hunting dogs, keen, alert, suspicious, sniffing the warm breeze. The monotony of the yellow walls broke in change of colour and smooth surface, and the rugged outline of rims grew craggy. Splits appeared in deep breaks, and gorges running at right angles, and then the pass opened wide at a junction of intersecting canyons. Lassiter dismounted, led his burrow, called the dogs close, and proceeded at snail pace through dark masses of rock and dense thickets under the left wall. Long he watched and listened before venturing to cross the mouths of side canyons. At length he halted, fled his burrow, lifted a warning hand to Jane, 
and then slipped away among the boulders, and followed by the stealthy dogs, disappeared from sight. The time he remained absent was neither short nor long to Jane Witherstein. When he reached her side again he was pale, and his lips were set in a hard line, and his grey eyes glittered coldly. Bidding her dismount, he led the burrows into a covert of stones and cedars, and tied them. "'Jane, I've run into the fellers I've been looking for, and I'm going after them,' he said. "'Why?' she asked. "'I reckon I won't take time to tell you.' "'Couldn't we slip by without being seen?' "'Likely enough, but that ain't my game, "'and I'd like to know, in case I don't come back, what you'll do.' "'What can I do?' "'I reckon you can go back to Tull, "'or stay in the pass and be taken off by rustlers. "'Which'll you do?' "'I don't know. I can't think very well, "'but I believe I'd rather be taken off by rustlers.' Lassiter sat down, put his head in his hands, and remained for a few moments in what appeared to be deep and painful thought. When he lifted his face, it was haggard, lined, cold as sculptured marble. "'I'll go. I only mentioned that chance of my not coming back. I'm pretty sure to come.' "'Need you risk so much? Must you fight more? Haven't you shed enough blood?' "'I'd like to tell you why I'm going.' he continued, in coldness he had seldom used to her. She remarked it, but it was the same to her as if he had spoken with his old gentle warmth. "'But I reckon I won't. Only I'll say that mercy and goodness, such as in you, though they're the grand things in human nature, can't be lived up to on this Utah border. Life's hell out here. You think, or you used to think, that your religion made this life heaven. Maybe them scales on your eyes has dropped now.' "'Jane, I wouldn't have you no different, "'and that's why I'm going to try to hide you somewhere in this pass. "'I'd like to hide many more women, "'for I've come to see there are more like you among your people. "'And I'd like you to see just how hard and cruel this border life is. "'It's bloody. "'You'd think churches and churchmen would make it better. "'They make it worse. "'You give names to things—bishops, elders, ministers, Mormonism, duty, faith, glory.' You dream, or you're driven mad. I'm a man, and I know. I name fanatics, followers, blind women, oppressors, thieves, ranchers, rustlers, riders. And we have what you've lived through these last months. It can't be helped, but it can't last always. And remember this. Some day the border'll be better, cleaner, for the ways of ten like Lassiter. She saw him shake his tall form erect, look at her strangely and steadfastly, and then, noiselessly, stealthily, slip away amid the rocks and trees. Ring and Whitey, not being bidden to follow, remained with Jane. She felt extreme weariness, yet somehow it did not seem to be of her body. And she sat down in the shade and tried to think. She saw a creeping lizard, cactus flowers, the drooping burrows, the resting dogs, an eagle high over a yellow crag. Once the meanest flower, a color, the flight of the bee, or any living thing had given her deepest joy. Lassiter had gone off, yielding to his incurable blood-lust, probably to his own death, and she was sorry, but there was no feeling in her sorrow. Suddenly from the mouth of the canyon just beyond her rang out a clear, sharp report of a rifle. Echoes clapped. Then followed a piercingly high yell of anguish, quickly breaking. Again echoes clapped in grim imitation. 
dull revolver shots, hoarse yells, pound of hoofs, shrill neighs of horses, commingling of echoes, and again silence. Lassiter must be busily engaged, thought Jane, and no chill trembled over her, no blanching tightened her skin. Yes, the border was a bloody place, but life had always been bloody. Men were blood spillers. Phases of the history of the world flashed through her mind, Greek and Roman wars, dark medieval times, the crimes in the name of religion. On sea, on land, everywhere, shooting, stabbing, cursing, clashing, fighting men. Greed, power, oppression, fanaticism, love, hate, revenge, justice, freedom. For these men killed one another. She lay there under the cedars, gazing up through the delicate, lace-like foliage at the blue sky, and she thought and wondered and did not care. More rattling shots disturbed the noonday quiet. She heard a sliding of weathered rock, a hoarse shout of warning, a yell of alarm, again the clear, sharp crack of the rifle, and another cry that was a cry of death. Then rifle reports pierced a dull volley of revolver shots. Bullets whizzed over Jane's hiding-place. One struck a stone and whined away in the air. After that, for a time, succeeded desultory shots, and then they ceased under long, thundering fire from heavier guns. Sooner or later, then, Jane heard the cracking of horses' hoofs on the stones, and the sound came nearer and nearer. Silence intervened until Lassiter's soft, jingling step assured her of his approach. When he appeared, he was covered with blood. "'All right, Jane,' he said. "'I come back, and don't worry.' With water from a canteen he washed the blood from his face and hands. "'Jane, hurry now.' Tear my scarf in two, and tie up these places. That hole through my hand is some inconvenient. Worse than this at over my ear. There, you're doing fine. Not a bit nervous, no trembling. I reckon I ain't done your courage justice. I'm glad you're brave just now. You'll need to be. Well, I was hid pretty good, enough to keep them from shooting me deep. But they was slinging lead close all the time. I used up all the rifle shells, and then I went after them. Maybe you heard. It was then I got hit. Had to use up every shell in my own gun, and they did, too, as I seen. Rustlers and Mormons, Jane. And now I'm packing five bullet holes in my carcass, and guns without shells. Hurry now. He unstrapped the saddlebags from the burrows, slipped the saddles and let them lie, turned the burrows loose, and calling the dogs, led the way through stones and cedars to an open where two horses stood. "'Jane, are you strong?' he asked. "'I think so. I'm not tired,' Jane replied. "'I don't mean that way. Can you bear up?' "'I think I can bear anything. "'I reckon you look a little cold and thick, so I'm preparing you. "'For what?' "'I didn't tell you why I just had to go after them fellers. "'I couldn't tell you. I believe you'd have died.' "'but I can tell you now, if you'll bear up under a shock. "'Go on, my friend. "'I've got little Fay, "'Alive, bad hurt, but she'll live.' "'Jane Witherstein's dead-locked feeling, "'rent by Lassiter's deep, quivering voice, "'leaped into an agony of sensitive life. "'Here,' he added, "'and showed her where little Fay lay on the grass. "'Unable to speak, 
unable to stand, Jane dropped on her knees. By that long, beautiful golden hair, Jane recognized the beloved Fay. But Fay's loveliness was gone. Her face was drawn and looked old with grief. But she was not dead, her heart beat, and Jane Witherstein gathered strength and lived again. "'You see, I just had to go after Fay,' Lassiter was saying as he knelt to bathe her little pale face. "'but I reckon I don't want no more choices like the one I had to make. "'There was a crippled feller in that bunch, Jane. "'Maybe Venters crippled him. "'Anyway, that's why they were holding up here. "'I seen little Fay first thing, "'and was hard put to it to figure out a way to get her. "'And I wanted hosses, too. "'I had to take chances. "'So I crawled close to their camp. "'One feller jumped a hoss with little Fay, "'and when I shot him, of course, she dropped.' She's stunned and bruised. She fell right on her head. Jane, she's coming too. She ain't bad hurt. Fay's long lashes fluttered. Her eyes opened. At first they seemed glazed over. They looked dazed by pain. Then they quickened, darkened, to shine with intelligence, bewilderment, memory, and sudden wonderful joy. Mother, Jane, she whispered. "'Oh, little Fay, little Fay!' cried Jane, lifting, clasping the child to her. "'Now we've got to rustle,' said Lassiter, in grim coolness. "'Jane, look down the pass.' Across the mounds of rock and sage, Jane caught sight of a band of riders filing out of the narrow neck of the pass, and in the lead was a white horse, which, even at a distance of a mile or more, she knew. "'Tull!' she almost screamed. I reckon. But, Jane, we've still got the game in our hands. They're riding tired hosses. Venters likely gave them a chase. He wouldn't forget that. And we've fresh hosses. Hurriedly he strapped on the saddlebags, gave quick glance to girths and cinches and stirrups, then leaped astride. Lift little Fay up, he said. With shaking arms, Jane complied. Get back your nerve, woman. This is life or death now. Mind that. Climb up. Keep your wits. Stick close to me. Watch where your horse is going, and ride. Somehow Jane mounted, somehow found strength to hold the reins, to spur, to cling on, to ride. A horrible quaking, craven fear possessed her soul. Lassiter led the swift flight across the wide space, over washes, through sage, into a narrow canyon where the rapid clatter of hoofs rapped sharply from the walls. The wind roared in her ears. The gleaming cliffs swept by. Trail and sage and grass moved under her. Lassiter's bandaged, blood-stained face turned to her. He shouted encouragement. He looked back down the pass. He spurred his horse. Jane clung on, spurring likewise. And the horses settled from hard, furious gallop into a long-striding, driving run. She had never ridden at anything like that pace. Desperately she tried to get in the swing of the horse, to be of some help to him in that race, to see the best of the ground, and got him into it. But she failed of everything except to keep her seat the saddle, and to spur and spur. At times she closed her eyes, unable to bear sight of Fay's golden curls streaming in the wind. She could not pray, she could not rail, she no longer cared for herself. All of life, of good, of use in the world— of hope in heaven entered in Lassiter's ride with little Fay to safety. She would have tried to turn the iron-jawed brute she rode. She would have given herself to that relentless, dark-browed tull. 
but she knew Lassiter would turn with her, so she rode on and on. Whether that run was of moments or hours, Jane Witherstein could not tell. Lassiter's horse covered her with froth that blew back in white streams. Both horses ran their limit, were allowed to slow down in time to save them, and went on dripping, heaving, staggering. "'Oh, Lassiter, we must run! We must run!' He looked back, saying nothing. The bandage had blown from his head, and blood trickled down his face. He was bowing under the strain of injuries, of the ride, of his burden. Yet how cool and gay he looked, how intrepid! The horses walked, trotted, galloped, ran, to fall again to walk. Hours sped or dragged. Time was an instant, an eternity. Jane Witherstein felt hell pursuing her, and dared not look back for fear she would fall from her horse. "'Oh, Lassiter, is he coming?' The grim rider looked over his shoulder, but said no word. Fay's golden hair floated on the breeze. The sun shone, the walls gleamed, the sage glistened. And then it seemed the sun vanished, the wall shaded, the sage paled. The horses walked, trotted, galloped, ran, to fall again to walk. Shadows gathered under shelving cliffs. The canyon turned, brightened, opened into a long, wide, wall-enclosed valley. Again the sun, lowering in the west, reddened the sage. Far ahead, round, scrawled stone appeared to block the pass. "'Bear up, Jane, bear up,' called Lassiter. "'It's our game if you don't weaken.' "'Lassiter, go on alone. Save little Fay.' "'Only with you.' "'Oh, I'm a coward, a miserable coward. I can't fight or think or hope or pray. I'm lost.' Oh, Lassiter, look back. Is he coming? I'll not hold out. Keep your breath, woman, and ride not for yourself or for me, but for Fay. A last breaking run across the sage brought Lassiter's horse to a walk. He's done, said the rider. Oh, no, no, moaned Jane. Look back, Jane, look back. Three, four miles we've come across this valley, and no tull yet in sight. Only a few more miles. Jane looked back over the long stretch of sage, and found the narrow gap in the wall, out of which came a file of dark horses, with a white horse in the lead. Sight of the riders acted upon Jane as a stimulant. The weight of cold, horrible terror lessened. And gazing forward at the dogs, at Lassiter's limping horse, at the blood on his face, at the rocks growing nearer, Last at Fay's golden hair, the ice left her veins, and slowly, strangely, she gained hold of strength that she believed would see her to the safety Lassiter promised. And as she gazed, Lassiter's horse stumbled and fell. He swung his leg and slipped from the saddle. "'Jane, take the child,' he said, and lifted Fay up. Jane clasped her, arm suddenly strong. "'They're gaining.' went on Lassiter, as he watched the pursuing riders. But we'll beat em yet. Turning with Jane's bridle in his hand, he was about to start when he saw the saddlebag on the fallen horse. "'I've just about got time,' he muttered, and with swift fingers that did not blunder or fumble, he loosened the bag and threw it over his shoulder. Then he started to run, leading Jane's horse, and he ran and trotted and walked and ran again. Close ahead now, Jane saw a rise of bare rock. Lassiter reached it, 
searched along the base, and finding a low place, dragged the weary horse up and over round, smooth stone. Looking backward, Jane saw Tull's white horse not a mile distant, with riders strung out in a long line behind him. Looking forward, she saw more valley to the right, and to the left a towering cliff. Lassiter pulled the horse and kept on. Little Fay lay in her arms with wide-open eyes, eyes which were still shadowed by pain, but no longer fixed, glazed in terror. The golden curls blew across Jane's lips. The little hands feebly clasped her arm. A ghost of a troubled, trustful smile hovered round the sweet lips. And Jane Witherstein awoke to the spirit of a lioness. Lassiter was leading the horse up a smooth slope toward cedar trees of twisted and bleached appearance. Among these he halted. "'Jane, give me the girl and get down,' he said. As if it wrenched him, he unbuckled the empty black guns with a strange air of finality. He then received Fay in his arms and stood a moment looking backward. Tall's white horse mounted the ridge of round stone, and several bays or blacks followed. "'I wonder what he'll think when he sees them empty guns. "'Jane, bring your saddlebag and climb after me.' A glistening, wonderful, bare slope, with little holes, swelled up and up to lose itself in a frowning yellow cliff. Jane closely watched her steps and climbed behind Lassiter. He moved slowly. Perhaps he was only husbanding his strength. But she saw drops of blood on the stone, and then she knew. They climbed and climbed without looking back. Her breast labored. She began to feel as if little points of fiery steel were penetrating her side into her lungs. She heard the panting of Lassiter and the quicker panting of the dogs. "'Wait here,' he said. Before her rose a bulge of stone, nicked with little cut steps, and above that a corner of yellow wall, and overhanging that a vast, ponderous cliff. The dogs pattered up, disappeared round the corner. Lassiter mounted the steps with Fay, and he swayed like a drunken man, and he too disappeared. But instantly he returned alone, and half ran, half slipped down to her. Then from below pealed up hoarse shouts of angry men. Tull and several of his riders had reached the spot where Lassiter had parted with his guns. "'You'll need that breath, maybe,' said Lassiter, facing downward with glittering eyes. "'Now, Jane, the last pull,' he went on. "'Walk up them little steps. I'll follow and steady you. Don't think. Just go. Little Fay's above. Her eyes are open. She just said to me, "'Where's Mother Jane?' Without a fear or a tremor or a slip or a touch of Lassiter's hand, Jane Witherstein walked up that ladder of cut steps. He pushed her round the corner of the wall. Fay lay with wide staring eyes in the shade of a gloomy wall. The dogs waited. Lassiter picked up the child and turned into a dark cleft. It zigzagged. It widened. It opened. Jane was amazed at a wonderfully smooth and steep incline leading up between ruined, splintered, toppling walls. A red haze from the setting sun filled this passage. Lassiter climbed with slow, measured steps, and blood dripped from him to make splotches on the white stone. Jane tried not to step in his blood, but was compelled, for she found no other footing. The saddlebag began to drag her down. She gasped for breath. She thought her heart was bursting. Slower, slower yet, the rider climbed, whistling as he breathed. The incline widened. 
Huge pinnacles and monuments of stone stood alone, leaning fearfully. Red sunset haze shone through cracks where the wall had split. Jane did not look high, but she felt the overshadowing of broken rims above. She felt that it was a fearful, menacing place. And she climbed on in heart-rending effort. And she fell beside Lassiter and Fay at the top of the incline in a narrow, smooth divide. He staggered to his feet, staggered to a huge, leaning rock that rested on a small pedestal. He put his hand on it, the hand that had been shot through, and Jane saw blood drip from the ragged hole. Then he fell. "'Jane, I can't do it,' he whispered. "'What? Roll the stone. All my life I've loved to roll stones.' "'And now I can't.' "'What of it? You talk strangely. Why roll that stone?' "'I plan to fetch you here, to roll this stone. See? It'll smash the crags, loosen the walls, close the outlet.' As Jane Witherstein gazed down that long incline, walled in by crumbling cliffs, awaiting only the slightest jar to make them fall asunder, she saw Tull appear at the bottom and begin to climb. A rider followed him, another, and another. See, Tull, the riders! Yes, they'll get us now. Why, haven't you strength left to roll the stone? Jane, it ain't that. I've lost my nerve. You, Lassiter. I wanted to roll it, meant to, but I can't. Venter's Valley is down behind here. We could live there. But if I roll the stone, we're shut in for always. I don't dare. I'm thinking of you. Lassiter, roll the stone, she cried. He arose tottering, but with set face, and again he placed the bloody hand on the balancing rock. Jane Witherstein gazed from him down the passageway. Tull was climbing. Almost, she thought, she saw his dark, relentless face. Behind him more riders climbed. What did they mean for Fay, for Lassiter, for herself? Roll the stone. Lassiter, I love you. Under all his deathly pallor, and the blood, and the iron of seared cheek and lined brow, worked a great change. He placed both hands on the rock, and then leaned his shoulder there and braced his powerful body. Roll the stone! It stirred, it groaned, it grated, it moved, and with a slow grinding, as of wrathful relief, began to lean. It had waited ages to fall, and now was slow in starting. Then, as if suddenly instinct with life, it leaped hurtingly down to alight on the steep incline, to bound more swiftly into the air, to gather momentum, to plunge into the lofty, leaning crag below. The crag thundered into atoms. A wave of air, a splitting shock, Dust shrouded the sunset red of shaking rims. Dust shrouded Tull as he fell on his knees with uplifted arms. Shafts and monuments and sections of wall fell majestically. From the depths there rose a long-drawn rumbling roar. The outlet to Deception Pass closed forever. End of chapter 23 This concludes Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Grey.